0: fellowship by continuing our reading of Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. Children with self-expression and popularity is more valued than knowing God and being faithful to God. We want preachers who look more important than whose they are and what they preach. We want Bible studies so often that focus on making us a better person rather than being humbled by God. Our love affair of this world runs very deep. And yet this morning we're called here by this passage to be transformed from being a sponge that soaks up the world. The world's standards, the world's ethics, the world's morals, the world's entertainment. We are called to be the salt of the earth. And one tool God has given us to be transformed and renew our minds is the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. And as we hear the word of God preached this morning let it renew your mind unto the glory of God.
1: If you would turn your bibles to the book of Malachi, I feel like a president here. Sorry. Okay. All right here. Sorry. going to get it so I, it's not in my notes so it, it's not going to do that me so all righty, well here we are all right <laughs> Here we go. Malachi chapter 4 is the text that we're currently on. Before I, d- I dive into that, I want to thank you all for your love and devotion to the body of Jesus Christ. Paul and Alyssa, feel your, your love, know your love by the text, the emails, the calls, and uh, just the, the desires to minister. And what a delight and a joy you all have been in their lives. And one of the messages that Phil and I, when we first met them uh, following the, the downturn, um, of Avor was the very second stanza was, Guys, improve upon your suffering. James 1 says, Consider all joy when you encounter various trials. Um, that's a command for us to do something with our trials. And it's not to be victims, it's to act in those trials with faith and trust and reliance upon Jesus Christ. And you know, I know the flesh is, is strong and bold, and all of us, and, and Paul and Alyssa, and no doubt they'll have those weeping times and doubting times, but it is a delight to hear them abound in faith and reliance upon God, knowing that, hey, this is, this is God's glorious plan um, in the life of them and this, and this child. So what a delight it is to serve a God who is that kind of uh, refuge. And today's text lends itself to that very message. Um, Malachi 4, 1 through 6 is what we're going to uh, uh, begin. Next week we'll hopefully finish this. Malachi 4, 1 through 6. Follow along as I read this God's Word. And I, I encourage you, please stand out of reverence and respect for the reading of the words of our great King. Hear now the word of King Jesus. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch but for you who fear my name the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves with, uh, from the stall and you will tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing says the Lord of hosts remember the law of Moses my servant even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. That's Father reading God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being called by your name, of, of knowing that you have given us eyes to see what we've just read and ears to hear by your Spirit. Lord, we do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine our hearts and bless us, O oh God, as we, as we spend this time uh, seeking to feast upon you and to run for refuge into the glorious uh, cleft of the rock King Jesus. Father, bless this time, we pray. Feed us, nourish us richly, and give me grace, I pray, to preach your word with fidelity. We entrust this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Matthew 16, we read probably a well-known passage to most of you. It says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came up, and, testing Christ, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you, not, or do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the time? Interesting response on the part of Christ. These, these guys wanted signs to prove who Jesus was. Christ proved who you are to us, even though he had just given them a ton of signs. But they didn't see him. And so Christ's response is a scathing rebuke. And that's is saying, man, you know weather, but you don't know the word. These guys are the religious leaders. These are the theologically trained. These are the bigwigs in Judaism. And Christ says, you know what? You all live by what would become the Mariner's poem, right? Uh, red sky at night, sailor's delight, red sky morning, sailor take warning. Man, they, they got that. But what they didn't get, they completely missed was what God was teaching in his word about the world in which they lived. And hence, they missed understanding what God was doing. Now, it's easy to look back upon them and look down upon them with scorn because that's something we like to do in our righteousness. But brothers and sisters, that's something you and I struggle with ourselves, isn't it? It's so easy to live in this world as, as sinners And live in the moment, for the moment, to the the moment. As if the moment is all that mattered. We're so much like Elisha's sermon in 2 Kings 6, his servant, who, surrounded by the angels of God, could not see them. All he saw was the Arameans threatening to kill them. And so he was worried and bothered and burdened. That is why God's word calls so many times in scripture. I'll give you one, Colossians 3, set Your mind on the things above, Christian. Not the things that are on the earth. That's the call of God. He wants us to be men and women who don't simply live in the moment and behold only the moment. The call of God in Scripture is for you and I to see the big picture and to to cultivate, to um, uh, nourish our souls in good and bad, to keep your gaze upon that fixture. To not be like Martha. Remember, Christ surprised Martha and Mary with a visit. He and his 12 disciples, 13 extra full-grown men, are joining them for supper at a time when you just couldn't go to King Supers and pick up a lasagna and warm it up, right? You had to actually, we're low on on, uh, um, flour. You have to go out and actually grind it. So he surprises them. Mary and Martha um, have this massive responsibility. And you know the story. Martha is burdened. John chapter 10. Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to Christ and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then then, Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one, or only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. And as Christ looks at Martha, says, Martha, you're worried and bothered about the wrong meal. Mary is feasting right now, and you should too. Mar- uh, uh, Martha, Mary is sitting in the presence of eternity, of Christ, of God. And rather than seeing that, you are so uh, uh, transfixed on the meal that needs to be prepared before us. Brothers and sisters, that is you and me. So often on a day-to-day basis. And brothers and sisters, that was the people of God in Malachi's day. Malachi, you know, was written in a valley. I'm going to define that valley in a second. The valley between two massive redemptive movements of God. The theocracy had just ended. The new covenant era was going to begin in 400 years. And so they were living at a time which in scripture is rarely testified to. Most of the scriptures you read are written during these these redemptive movements. Where there are prophets and miracles and healings and signs and theophanies and revelation. But Malachi's br- br- a brethren, they lived in a valley. In fact, they lived in a coal mine. They lived in a Peruvian coal mine. 2012, those however many miners got stuck way down into the earth. That's where you and I are living. That's where they were living Brothers and sisters, they could only just remember their parents speaking about the glory days when God's the, uh, a theophany filled the temple. They could remember about the prophets and on and on and on and on. But for them their lives had become so common, so ordinary. No doubt they no doubt ask the same questions that you and I ask and it's a false question. If the Holy Spirit were removed from your life, what difference would it make? You know, we ask that question thinking, what kind of miracles would be different in your life? Well, none, because you're not living miraculously, right? What kind of great things would you not be able to do? Because you're not doing any great things. Brothers and sisters, if the Holy Spirit were removed from your life, you would lose assurance. You would lose peace. You would lose joy but you wouldn't be uh, taken out of the Peruvian coal mine in which you're currently living. That's a false notion that if if God's active in my life, I'm going to mount up with wings and life will be lived in the mountains. Brothers and sisters, God's people were living in that coal mine, that oppressive coal mine alongside non-believers who just so happened to take that, that metaphor further, who just so happened to medicate themselves with all kinds of drugs, Satan's blind the eyes of the unbelieving, such that they're happy, they're joyful. And God's people living in Malachi's day looked upon them and looked and saw that God seemed to have abandoned them. Look where we are. And then on top of that, brothers and sisters, they're the object of persecution from those very ones, their neighbors, And so not only did they feel picked on by them, but they began to feel picked on by God. God, where are you? Why don't you work the way you worked in last generations? What are you doing with the doing in the apostolic church? Doing these great, wonderful things. No, my life is lived in the ordinary, in the common, in the boring, That's where God's people were. And when you're there and you don't see where you are, you don't understand God's kingdom work. It doesn't take long before being picked on God, feeling picked on God, you began to criticize God. And in criticizing God, you began secretly envying the wicked. And that's where God's people were when Malachi was sent to his people at this time. Their hearts had grown cold. They were living in the valley not during climactic times, but in very ordinary times. And so God came and and through Malachi exhorted his people, gave them six different exhortations, which I'm suggesting to you are typical of the struggles that you and I are going to have in the valley, in the coal mine. The first one is... As we've seen, it's, it's, um, he, he uh, dealt with their compromised worship. The first thing we do when you and I get, get bored with Jesus and our hearts grow cold, we change worship. We try to make worship exciting. And then the second thing that goes is the pulpit, is the teaching. Now teaching is all about me. It's all about make me happy, tickle my ears. I don't want to bear the, God's word. I want God's word to make me feel encouraged. Third thing that goes is the covenant uh, community. Why? Because I all of a sudden re- become very selfish. I all of a sudden realize that you exist for me. At least I believe that. And then I look and see what you're not giving me, and what you're, and how you're failing me. And so pretty soon the body starts tr- uh, falling apart and cracking. Why? Because brother and sisters, my heart for God's grown cold. I failed uh, to realize I exist for you, not you for me. I exist for God, and, and God's called me to exist to love and serve you. Then fourthly, the next thing that we tend to do, we, we tend to question God's justice, and you can, you have the verses there, Malachi, two, and then that leads to being worldly, earthbound in our thinking and living and serving. And then lastly, it leads us to questioning the goodness of God. You know, the very thing that should most encourage you in the valley is His goodness, but that's the very thing that you and I throw out, jettison, when things go tough. God's not good. If you were good, this wouldn't be going on. Brothers and sisters, God, God sent Malachi to exhort his people towards that. Now, having said that, in verse 18 of chapter 3, look at your Bibles. This last exhortation about his goodness. Malachi climaxed with this statement. So you will again distinguish, discern, or judge between the righteous way and the wicked way. Between the one who serves God and the one who serves, um, and the one who does not serve him. So he makes this comment, if you, if you, brothers and sisters, if you will just a priori take that God is good and, and live in light of that, and then you look at the glorious benefit that occurs and how that happens 16 and 17. What's going to happen? It's going to transform your thinking, and you're going to start seeing the world the way you ought to see it, and you're going to see the people you envy most. Look at verse 14 right? Um, 13 and 14 and 15. So now you call the arrogant blessed of chapter 3. Wow, brothers and sisters, far that far from calling them blessed, you're going to see them aright. Well, verse chapter 4, 1 through 6 defines for us what does it mean to distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. You might say, well, what does that mean to judge between them? So chapter 4, 1 through 6 is not a seventh revelation, Or a seventh exhortation with regards to the typical problems we fall into when our hearts grow cold towards Christ. Chapter 4 is an explanation of how we distinguish between the wicked and the righteous. And when we do that, brothers and sisters, the glories that become ours as we realize the privilege that is ours to be a servant of God in a Peruvian mind. What a glorious privilege it is to be a servant of God in this state of sin and misery, in this lull between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, when we're so ordinary and so common. Brothers and sisters, Malachi ends with this statement. You are so blessed as Christians to have Christ as your God during this time. Now, he gives us a couple reasons why and the first one is, is, as we've seen in the contrast of destinies. Notice with me verse 1 and 2. We're going to look at first the, 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 the end of the wicked. Look at the end. Verse 1. For behold, you're never going to believe this. The day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and evildoers will be chaffed, that uh, combustible, uh, uh, combustible dry straw that remains after you harvest a field. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. This is referencing the last day on this earth. And this is a prophecy, is a description, a picture, a snapshot of the last day that man will live in this age on this earth. And on that last day, this text tells us it's not going to be good for the wicked. Listen to Matthew chapter 25. We read about it there. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, they will sit on his glorious thrones and the, and the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on, on his right and the goats on his left. This is the last judgment where God takes and all mankind will stand before his glorious throne and goats will be on his left. God's people will be on his rights. And to the left, to the goats, we read in Matthew 25, 41 and 46, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, the lake of fire. Now, brothers and sisters, we know prior to that moment, prior to that last judgment, we know from biblical testimony that the very thing right before this last judgment is this entire world is going to burn up. The entire universe is going to be destroyed with fire. Peter talks about that in 2 Peter. Let me read it uh, for uh, for you. Peter wrote, The heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will, will melt with intense heat. So we're talking about all of the galaxies, the 200 billion plus, everything will go up in a burning fireball at one moment. They'll be burning like um, a large uh, furnace and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Brothers and sisters, we recently have received a picture by God's grace, his mercy, of what it's going to be like. The superior Lafayette fires. Paul was on duty on that day and he was sent to go and help. Um, during the, that fire. And he said, dad, when he was, when he was driving down the road where the neighborhoods, you've seen those pictures, whole neighborhoods were, were just on fire. All of the homes on fire. He said, driving in the center of the street that far away from those burning homes, he said, he felt the heat through the cruiser door. That's how hot it was. So what, what, what Malachi is describing here is not a furnace. He's describing the effects of a furnace. Look at the text again very carefully. Behold, the day is coming burning like a furnace. It's not a furnace. God's not sending fire. God is sending heat. This earth is going to get so hot. Have you ever seen... Um, whether it's a grill, and the grills would be bad because the fire is so close, or an oven. If you stick a piece of paper in an oven, I'm not suggesting you do this, children, but if you stick a piece of paper in an oven, in a hot oven, what does it do? It just ignites. That's the picture of Malachi. The earth is going to become so hot, so dry, that just like on those hot, hot, dry days, chaff in the field can self-ignite. The entire universe is going to self-ignite because of the heat that is coming to it. And that universe, according to this text, is designed to burn up the chaff, the wicked. Now why Why does God, the superior fires, why does God give those? Why in God's uh, a, a plan? Does he ordain superior fires and, and earthquakes and war? All these different signs of the time. I want to give you a, a couple of verses to answer that. Isaiah 26, six first, or, 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 sorry, verse 9. When the earth experiences thy judgments, notice what it says, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Do you know why God ordains these things? Because he's gracious. Did you hear that? Why does God ordain these trials? Because he's loving You know the most unloving thing I can think of is to watch someone go in a direction that could easily kill them and not say a word. That is not love. That is hatred. But to raise your voice, to jerk them back from sudden death, from near death, from certain death, is grace and love and mercy. And brothers and sisters, God ordains the judgments in this world to instruct righteousness, well, what's, what righteousness? What right living? Well, brothers and sisters, that's defar- described for us in Luke 13, 1. Now, on the same occasion, there was some present who, re- who reported to Christ about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you-, you repent, you will likewise perish. That's righteousness. Turning from self to God. But what do the wicked, in Malachi chapter 4, what do the wicked do in this time? Well, what do they do with the superior fire? What do wicked people do in the face of, of national disaster? What do they do? They blame God. Get this, God's warning them in love. If you don't turn from your sin, you will likewise perish. But rather than responding in repentance and clinging to God, what do they do? They respond to the warning by criticizing the messenger, by criticizing the message. Oh, what an evil God. What a horrible being. If they they could only see as God calls us to see, they would see that those are loving warnings of God to this world that unless they repent they will likewise perish. But brothers and sisters, they don't repent, and that is why they will burn up on the day on the last day. Incredible, scary, sobering. But brothers and sisters, in contrast, notice what it says about you and me, verse 2. It's incredible. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And will go forth, and, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Don't miss the pun. You don't see it in verse 1, but it's there. What causes the heat of verse 1? It's not a furnace. What causes the heat of verse 1? And it's not God's throwing fire upon this earth. What causes the heat of verse 1? The only answer is what? The sun. <laughs> it's the sun. The sun causes the earth to be so hot that it self-ignites. Okay? The sun... Well, get this, brothers and sisters, that sun which destroys the wicked and burns them up, it's going to rise with healing in its wings for those who fear God. This is the same act, two completely different consequences. When I was in seminary, I worked at a nursery, a plant nursery called Priscilla Nursery. And uh, family-owned, wonderful family. But I was privileged to work at Priscilla Nursery. And I knew nothing about plants. I was hired because I was honest. I was in seminary. They thought I was honest. Little did they know I'm a sinner. Um, But they hired me because I was honest. They got tired of getting robbed. So um, they hired me. I knew nothing about plants. But I I quickly learned one massive thing. I still get questions today because of my Priscilla nursery experience about about landscaping. And one of the questions I get asked is, I got this shady area, what should I plant there? I got a really sunny area, what should I plant there? And you know what the easiest answer is? Just go to a nursery and find whatever plants are in shade, those plants grow in shade. And whatever plants are in the sun, those plants grow in the sun. That's how, how I learned it. People would come and say, oh, you know, master. I'd say grasshopper, you know. You know, what, where do I, you know, what can I plant? And and it was so easy. I'd just say, follow me. And they think I was so amazing. I just, I went to the full sun. But but think about that. If I took those shade plants, and occasionally I would, because I was not educated on plants. That wasn't my degree. If I took one of those shade plants and put it in the sun, guess what it would do? It would die. Same sun that makes the Caribbean a paradise destroys, burns, burns up plants that can't live in it. It's a picture, brothers and sisters, of the last day. The wicked are going to be devoured by the son of righteousness. But do you know what's going to happen for you and me? That son of righteousness will not devour us. Instead, what does this text say? It's going to rise with healing in its wings. It's crazy. That son of righteousness is going to... Heal us. So the non-Christian will be completely destroyed by it. We are going to sit in the gaze of that sun and we are going to flourish and be healed. It's, it talks about healing in its wings in the ancient world. One of the pi- depictions of the sun was a disc with wings. And so the picture is, is that those rays which destroy, th- those rays which make a drought, ironically for certain fa- uh, fauna, and Flora, guess what? Those thrive. Those thrive, and that's you, Christian. You're going to thrive. God's going to make you—what th- you, we're talking about is the, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints here. You're just not going to get through by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. Chin, chin. Brothers and sisters, God's word is very clear. You are going to thrive when you see Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you will have been equipped and prepared to enter into his presence. Have the eyes to behold him. And when you behold him, brothers and sisters, it will not be for condemnation. It will be for your growth, maturation, and your glory. That is why the second coming of Jesus Christ is our hope. Titus chapter 2. Look for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. It's a command. We're called to look. That's not not a command there, but elsewhere it is. There it's a participle phrase, looking for. But look for the hope of Christ. Why? Why should that be our greatest hope as opposed to a pay raise? As opposed to, hey, maybe a baby getting better. Or, hey, how about, right? Why is that our hope? Because, brothers and sisters, 1 John 3 says, Now we are children of God, and as not appeared as what we, we shall be, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. He's to transform us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's your future. Do you understand that, brothers? That's your future. God's plan. God's telling Malachi to these people living in the ordinary. Do you understand your future, brothers and sisters? You are like those newborn babes lying as a king in a, uh, a crib, little knowing that you that, that the kingdom is before you. That is every one of us. That is your future. And thus, First Peter 1 says, Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, it is this hope that Malachi waves before his brethren as they struggle to live in this very, very difficult setting, a Peruvian mind. But, brothers and sisters, as we know from Psalm 39, is it? Joy comes in the morning. Our glory is, is the morning. You go, what morning? The dawn of the new heavens and the new earth. Brothers and sisters, this world, according to Romans chapter 13, it's nighttime. It's it's dusk. The night is almost gone, right? I'm sorry, it's night-night time. It's not dusk. It's night-night time. But the morning star has risen, and the new dawn is coming. The new age, the new heavens, and the new earth. And thus, brothers and sisters, what is the difference, the contrast in the consequence? Brothers and sisters, the non-believer, their future is to be burnt up and cast into the lake of fire for eternity. Your future in Jesus Christ this day, yes, in the Peruvian mind, yes, in this dank, dark, oppressive, heavy, hard, difficult living, do you know what's going to happen to you? Someday, you're going to be in the sun again. And you know what's going to happen when that happens? Notice verse 3 again, or 2b. You're going to be skipping about like calves. What a beautiful picture. The sun rises, the calves, the cows are let out of barn. And what do the, the baby calves do? What, what, by definition, a calf is a baby. What does what the baby cows do? The calves, they skip about. Brothers and sisters, I can predict what you're going to say the first moment you see Jesus from Isaiah and I, can tell, and I can predict from Malachi chapter 4, the first thing you're going to do when you see Jesus, it's going to be to skip about like calves. So you're in a proving mind. And all these people filled with drugs don't live in reality. They don't realize how, how horrible their state is. They're, they're happy. And you and I, know, seeing it, because God's delivered us from that drug overdose, from that drug muse. We see life as we should, hopefully. And seeing life as we should, we go, man, look how dark and dank this is. And we're tempted, we're tempted to listen to the non believers who are drugged up saying, man, oh man, you should enjoy life like we do. Enjoy life. Take the boast. Take it all. And we're tempted to go, man, I can't do that because I know I'm a servant of God, but I resent that I can't do that. This is horrible here. Look how dark and dank this is. Brothers and sisters, do you understand what's going to happen? If you truly believe what this text is saying about you, Do what would it do for you? It would enable you to distinguish between the wicked and the righteous. And now, rightly so. I mentioned this last time we were in Malachi. Brothers and sisters, none of us, none of us, or better yet, if you ever had a child or someone you knew who was saying, boy, I wish I could get cancer and get a free trip to Disneyland like that kid. What would you tell that family? What would you tell that that kid? You'd say, What? I'm envying you that Disney free free all expenses paid vacation to Disneyland. I wish I could have cancer like he does. I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters, what a parent wouldn't pay, what he wouldn't give for his child not to have cancer. He would give up a thousand trips to Disneyland. And you and I are gonna sit here and go, I wish I could be that cancer kid. But that's what we're doing when we go, man, I wish I was like the wicked. I wish I could enjoy life like them. Do you understand theirs is a terminal illness? They're going to die of their cancer. Don't envy them. Distinguish. Realize, yeah, right now they're they're bemused. Why? Because they're filled with, because Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving, brothers and sisters. They don't see. They cannot see. So of course they're blind. And of course they're going to think, hey, this is a great place to live. Let's set up tent here. Don't you dare envy them. And secondly, don't you dare question God's goodness. That's what Malachi's saying. Brothers and sisters, all these six points, don't you dare question his justice or his goodness. You're called to labor with your trials. Consider all joy, my brethren. Um, Labor with them. Improve upon your suffering. And you know what that means? That means every time the thought comes up that says God's not good, you say that's wrong. In the words of um, the psalmist, or in the words of D. Martin Lloyd Jones, the psalmist, when he says, Why are you cast down my soul, what does he say? He talks to himself. How does he solve being discouraged and depressed? He talks to himself and says, Don't be cast down. God is a good God. Brothers and sisters, God is a wonderful being. We're in this Proving mind, and everything God's doing right now is to get us out of this mess. And why are we in this proving mind? Because of us. Because of our rebellion and our sin. That's the message God's giving Malachi. That he's not done. And uh, would you notice with me, lastly, verse 3, as seen in our conquest. Not only in the, in, the, in the comparison or the contrast, but notice with me, brothers and sisters, the conquest, verse 3. And you will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day, which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Brothers and sisters, God, Jesus, Malachi, does not want God's people simply getting by. He doesn't want us simply existing. He doesn't want us simply as survivors. So many of us have this idea, I just want to survive. You know, get, get, God, bring me to glory. Let me survive this, this state of sin and misery that is not God's plan for us. God's plan for us is that you and I be victors. We live on this side of the grave as victors. Why? Because our identity is not our sin. Our identity is Christ crucified and what he's done for you and me. Notice verse three, you will tread down the wicked. Now we're talking about the next day. We're talking the end time, not today. We're not saying go out and go beat up the wicked. He's saying on that day, When God comes and burns up the earth in the last judgment, you are going to participate. You're going to tread the ashes of the the wicked under your feet. The picture here is ultimate conquest. Now, you say, in what way are we going to uh, tread down the wicked's ashes under our feet? I'm going to answer that. But in answering that, you need to realize the age in which we live is an age where God is working redemptively. God has a redemptive program for this world. And that redemptive program includes this. And you and I don't like this part, but it does. It includes letting God be judge. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Deuteronomy. Proverbs 22. uh, 22, Do not say I will repay evil. Wait upon the Lord. He will save you. Deuteronomy, I just uh, read it. Vengeance is mine. Matthew 5, but, but I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other side. Brothers and sisters, God's plan in this age to work redemptively. Therefore, our purpose, one of our purposes on this earth is to be a redemptive means by which God would share the gospel. So when you are attacked or beaten up or whatever, your call is not to seek vengeance. Your call is to turn the other cheek. Now, don't misunderstand that does not mean that that there should not be capital punishment. That does not mean that we should that, that there's not such things as just wars, and that does not mean we ought not to defend ourselves if someone's physically attacking us. That notwithstanding, the age in which we live is, is an age where we're called to endure that they might see our faith, 1 Peter 3, and ask about that faith and learn about Jesus Christ, okay? That's the age in which we live. We don't like that part, but that's the age in which we live. But guess what? Malachi's saying it won't always be that way. There's coming a time when you and I will be active in the judgment or the justice of God over the wicked. We're going to trample underfoot the, the cinders of them well, how are we going to do that? You mean we're going to take up arms with Jesus on the last day and fight? No. If you look at the rest of Scripture, take all the Scriptures and put them together, you know how we're going to all participate? According to 1 Corinthians 6, 2-3, we're going to give the amen. That's it. We say amen, God. Jesus does the battle, not us. Jesus and his angels, and we're going to say amen. We're not going to go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. hold a second here. we gonna be saying amen, Lord. As R.C. Sproul was was, was oft times said, I heard him say it many times, brothers and sisters, on that day, we will praise God for his judgment over our great-grandma or that little granny or whatever, right? We will because then we will be completely consumed by the glory and praise of God and we'll see the world as God sees it and the wicked as God sees them. So we will participate on that day, but we're going to participate vicariously through Jesus Christ. So, so, brothers and sisters, can I share with you, there's Malachi, can I share with you the glory that is yours living in this state of sin and misery? First, consider the end. Secondly, consider the conquest that awaits you today in Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8, I'm almost done. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, I'm going to close with just a couple verses. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, listen to the description that we are right now in the Peruvian mind in which we live. Second Corinthians chapter 4, be helpful for us in Second Corinthians, real quickly. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 8, we read these words. We are afflicted. See if this doesn't describe you. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. The more we're beat like myrrh, the more we 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 smell of the aroma of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter two fourteen through seventeen. Right? Wow. So yes, we are beaten down, and yes, life is hard here. But brothers and sisters, we are never conquered. We are the conquerors, and that's my final verse. I want to read Romans chapter eight. Brothers and sisters this is your future. You are conquerors. You are victors. So instead of surviving, start preaching to your soul. Start teaching yourself. You and I are co-regents with Christ. We are co-reigning with him. We are victors. And hence, Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Are you going to be overrun to this day in your life by tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril of sword? For as is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep as to be slaughtered. That is the current description of Christians in the present age. So brothers and sisters, can these things over, uh, I'm sorry, in the end, do you end? No. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who who loved us. Brothers and sisters, Malachi's second exhortation, you're conquerors. Start living that way. Start thinking that way. And any thoughts that come up to tell you anything else, you've got you to let God's word teach, that, uh, put those thoughts in their place. I'll close with this, with this final thought. I've really enjoyed reading a couple books on the French resistant fighters during World War II. You know, in 1940, during World War II, 1940, Nazi Germany took over France, and they would hold it as their land for four years, 1940 to 1944. And in that time, all the major cities were covered, saturated by Nazi soldiers. But you know, there were resistant fighters. Little cells of 20 or 30, 10, 5, 3. They they weren't big. They weren't armies. They were a group of four or five people in this village and a group of four or five people in that village. If you could go back in time, knowing history like you do, I hope you all know that World War II was lost by Germany. France was liberated in 1944. And those people who were under the yoke of Nazi Germany in just three, four, two, one, now zero years, where they'd be free again, if you go back in time and talk to those resistant fighters, what message would you give them in 1941 France? What would you tell them? And I want you to, in your mind, don't just sit the blank. What would you tell them? Get some thoughts in your mind. I'm not ending this sermon until you get thoughts in your mind. Okay? What, what would you tell them? Write it down. What would you tell them? In three short years, you're going to be successful. Secondly, nothing you're doing today will be worthless. And you may bomb that munition you know, dump or whatever, a cache of weapons. And you may think, what are we, five people against an entire nation of Germans? What are we going to do? What, what, what impact can we possibly have in this world? Well, Malachi's going to come back in a couple next week, and you're going to hear the other impact we're supposed to have. But what would you tell the French resistant fighters? What would you tell them? you would say, cheer up. Be of good cheer. Be bold. Be strong. Be smart. Be wise. Be as innocent as a dove, as shrewd as a serpent. But be bold. Be strong. You are going to conquer. This world will not touch you. You're going to go through the flames like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you're not going to smell like flames. Brothers and sisters, that's our future. Whatever you would tell the French resistance fighter, do me a favor, do yourself a favor. Tell yourself that the next time you find yourself struggling with doubts and fears about God. The next time you find yourself going, Man, I'm fighting the good fight, but it just seems like God's not listening to me. What would you tell the French resistance? Brothers and sisters, the same, actually a better message you tell us. Because their hope was to, you're going to be free and then you're going to die of cancer. Brothers and sisters, Christ is telling you today, you're going to be free. And you're going to skip about like calves. And you're going to run and not grow weary. And you're going to walk and not faint. And you're going to mount up with wings like eagles. And you're going to exalt and glorify God and say, behold, These are the first words you're going to say when you see Christ, Isaiah. This is the God for whom we have waited. This is the Lord for whom we have depended. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. Brothers and sisters, that is how we discern between the wicked and the righteous. Let's pray. Father, what a delight it is to bow before you this day, looking at this incredible explanation of chapter 318. The call for us to discern between the wicked and the, and the righteous, those who fear God and those who don't. Lord, I pray that you give us the grace as your people to take this to heart. Lord, impress upon us this incredible need to ever and always be vigilant. Christ said, watch and pray. And Lord, we understand from this passage what in part constitutes that watching. It's speaking to ourselves. It's, it's guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's not allowing sinful, fleshly thoughts to, to be that which wins out in our lives. But it's to put those thoughts in their place, show them where they belong, and to proclaim the truth of your word to our souls and then to one another in fellowship and then to the world in which we live. God, give us the grace, O Lord. We live in between. We live in the Peruvian mind, O Lord. You know it. We live at a time where it seems as though the powers that be are so powerful. Little tiny laws are passed and we can do nothing to stop it. Wars, rumors of war, earthquakes, tragedies, cancers, and babies born, ill ill health. Lord, all these struggles, fires and all these things, oh God. And it's so easy for us, your people, to not see, to not read, to not discern the signs, but to be caught up in them. God, I pray that you give us the grace, every one of us, to cultivate a life where day in and day out, moment by moment, we would be a people who would proclaim the truth of your word to ourselves and thus be in your word, being re-educated, having our minds transformed by the renewing of your word. God, transform us, we pray accordingly. And we thank you, O Lord, that this morning, not only has your word done that, and will it do that, but this table that we go to, this life-changing table, where if we could take this table in, recognizing what it means, the forgiveness that is ours in Christ, proclaimed and enjoyed each Lord's day, but at least by us, God, what a life-changing reality this is. Give us the grace to live therefore as more.